0: Hello and welcome to Transforming Talent. I'm your host, Ed Crow, the talent transformation expert for organizations seeking eight-figure growth. We work with those organizations to break through revenue ceilings and realize the business growth that their companies are capable of when they get their people firing on all cylinders. We believe that every business person has a unique voice and a unique angle that makes their business successful. And those are the kinds of movers and shakers that we interview on the show. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you could be our next guest in about 30 minutes. So let's jump right in. Hello and welcome to today's installment of Transforming Talent. I am Ed Crow, your host, the talent transformation expert for organizations seeking eight-figure growth. So delighted uh, to have Lewis Eisen with me today. Lewis, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks very much. Ed.
0: Hey, Lewis, tell our listeners uh, and our viewers uh, a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, I'm a, a reformed lawyer. Uh-huh. I uh, I left law a number of years ago to go into technology consulting mm-hmm. and business consulting, and then I worked for the government for a number of years writing policy. Mm-hmm. And now I spend time teaching organizations how to change the policy culture that they write in from being confrontational to collaborative.
0: Interesting. You know, I was just having a chat yesterday with some colleagues, and we were talking about that concept of how so many organizations say they want to work on their culture. And they forget that if you want to change the culture, you have to change the language that's spoken within the culture. So from your perspective, what is so critical that companies do when they're looking at, at revamping their policies or at least the language within the policies?
1: Um, so, you know what? Uh, there's been a big change in the last 20 years in the way that companies address their employees orally. Mm-hmm. You know, when you sit in a meeting, the way bosses talk to, uh, uh, to their employees. I know that I, I look 25 over, the, over Zoom, but I'm actually much, much older. And when, when I was working as a, a young man, Uh, And you had a boss that was rude to you. You didn't turn back and say, you can't talk to me like that. Mm -hmm. But that's not the workplace today. So many organizations have modernized the way they speak to people. Sure. But their writing hasn't caught up. So they have this notion that somehow the writing should sound staid and strict and bossy. Mm -hmm. As long as they talk nicely.
0: (laughs) So... When you think about the, the policies, tell me how you differentiate the writing, perhaps, if you do, between, say, an employee handbook and the thou shalt nots versus, say, a procedural type manual and the way that may be written.
1: OK, this is a good question. So uh, maybe I can def- define the way I'm using these terms. Sure. So that- the same page a procedure by me is a set of steps it's got a beginning it's got an end mm-hmm. so, Well, no, you can do it again and again but it's not an ongoing thing no. The policy is a higher level it goes on and it doesn't have a beginning point and, and an end point uh the policy talks about the way we do things in this organization mm-hmm. and when people are given procedures they want to be led by the hand, step-by-step to make sure they're doing the right thing. That's the point of the procedure. But in the policy, they want to understand the point. What what has this got to do with our work? Mm -hmm. How does this, what you're telling me to do, how does this align with our strategies and our values and whatnot? So very often, uh, organization will put something in a policy that says, uh, you must get the approval of the chief information officer before you get this account. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a procedure. It's exactly. not a policy. And by elevating it to the level of policy, your messaging is basically we're about control. And you don't do this without our control. That's the messaging. Because <laughs> sure. of our policy if it were down at the procedure level in a procedural handbook, it wouldn't have that impact.
0: Right. Right. So tell tell our listeners about a, a transformation that you've seen in an organization through that, that written word and, and changing up how those policies are presented within an organization, kind of a before and after.
1: Certainly. So the uh, when I arrived at one of my uh, uh, companies, I had a group of, I was in charge of the um, management of records electronic and paper for a large large uh, government organization okay. and as soon as i arrived the managers came up to me and said nobody's following our policy uh, nobody reads them uh, they just ignore what we say we put all kinds of stuff out there what are we even wasting our time for sure Now, I took a look at the policies, you know, and they're full of bolds and underlines and Mm -hmm. lots of exclamation marks with sentences (laughs) in all capital letters and, you know, never this and none of that and no exceptions will be allowed, this kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And you realize that this is a policy is part of a conversation. Mm -hmm. So we spent some time modulating the tone of language and turning it into the language that we would use. The way you explain something to someone as if they'd first arrived and you just want them to understand sure it's that tone of voice so we do this and we do this and we do this and then we put it here and then we put it here do we know in fact that some people don't do this sure we know that but that's not the way we write the policy
0: yeah because
1: we don't write the policy on the defensive and once we started doing that people stopped looking for reasons that it didn't apply to them because when it was all you must do this and you do this and you do this, uh, everyone, you get their backup, right? People mm-hmm. don't like to be told what to do. Right. But when it started being a description of what the organization wants, people would say, well, okay, but, but how am I supposed to do that? And that opens up a conversation, which we didn't have before. Right. And you
0: know, oh, now go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead and finish.
1: A lot of the people who write policies, find that they have fallen into a trap of playing the heavy the policeman the cop and that's not why they got into that business exactly what they went in as our subject matter experts and by softening the tone taking it out of the obedience sphere i'm in charge you obey me sphere to mm-hmm. this is the way it runs this is how things go you reposition your expertise so people are much more uh They're they're much less likely to say, well, we can't manage that in our group. And to bring you in and say, could you show us how that applies to us? Because we don't see it. Mm -hmm. That opens up conversations they didn't have before. Interesting.
0: So do you oftentimes find that it's human resources that is writing the policies that you're then rewriting or are you finding they're coming out of uh, an operations or, or maybe even marketing I've seen on occasion. What, what's your experience?
1: Most of there everyone writes policies to a certain degree. And you know, a number of people write customer policies and whatnot. Um, the, uh, the problem with a, a number of policy areas and HR is, is one of them is that they buy canned policies. Mm-hmm. If somebody says, Oh, we need, a we need policies to handle, uh, Absences, so does anyone have a policy? Oh yeah, so you go to a site and they send you down policies. So um, there's not a lot of introspection into why we're saying it in this way because this policy got vetted by somebody else and come through. So what I tend to find is that the organizations that don't have that, which are things like IT, facilities, information management, those areas that have to in fact, write their own policies, security, um, that they tend to be more open because they struggle with how do I word it? Right. You
0: know, it just occurred to me as we're, we're having this chat, and of course, you know, you and I had a, a pre-chat uh, the other week. Um, how does a guy who's a former attorney, who usually the attorneys are all about the thou shalt nots and thou shalt in an employee handbook, how does a, a reformed attorney, as you call yourself, Turn around it and almost pivot completely away from that viewpoint in terms of, of how to write and communicate with people.
1: It is a hard pivot, I have to tell you. And my, my biggest objectors are, are lawyers. Sure. Are attorneys. And I understand that because, you know, when I was in law school, we were taught that corporate policies are just extensions of contracts mm-hmm. and you should write them as if they're contracts. Makes sense. But a contract is an adversarial document. You're supposed to define the rights of either party. And if I'm one party, I actually, say I'm the employer, I honestly don't care if the employee finds the contractual language too strict. Mm-hmm. That That is not, we're setting out rights and obligations here. Sure. A policy, however, is supposed to be a collaborative document. It's not a confrontational document. So it wasn't until I got into the business world that I realized that policies have very different role okay. than contracts. And yes, there is an overlap. And um, the uh, it, it is a bit of a mindset, you know, um, l- lawyers, um, we are, uh, I think, I'm no, put it this way. I think a lot of people use lawyers wrong when it comes to policy. Okay. Because what they do is they send the lawyer the policy and they say, tell us if we're breaking any laws. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and that's not what the lawyer is for, right? The the point of the lawyer is to tell you where you're walking close to thin ice and what the risks are. Mm -hmm. So the question to ask is, look at what we've done, advise me of the risks you see. And then that goes back to the business area and they need to decide if they assume those risks, right? That's the best use of the lawyer. And the lawyer, I mean, what they want to be, doing is advising you on risk level, mm-hmm. not necessarily taking responsibility for your final decision Sure. in that way. So yeah, it is a bit of a, a change of mindset, but there's no question.
0: And, and how do you find yourself working with a, with a client? Do they come to you and say, hey, Lewis, you know, here's what we want to accomplish. Would you write the policy? Or is it, hey, let's work together to craft this language to reflect what we want in the way that we want to do it?
1: Honestly, most people come to me and say, we would like you to teach us how to write our policies stricter because people aren't following them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's what they have. We, we need to write this stricter. And the, uh, the first thing, um, my first question when, when we sit down is, um, what kind of culture do you actually want here in the organization? I, do you want a culture of command and control? Or do you want a culture of empowerment? I mean, what is the point of these policies? Which direction are you, are you pushing people? Are you want a culture of black and white thinking? Or do you want a culture of accommodation? Mm-hmm. Because your choices on that are going to affect um, which way you go. Also, uh, we need to do some values weighing. Because say there's an organization that has many franchises around. Sure. So we need, we have a, possible conflict of values we have a need for uniformity consistency around but we also have the need to empower and the need to allow local changes to take place and people to be in charge of uh, to accommodate local needs so you as an organization need to make those decisions first before you decide what policies you write and that usually starts discussions that they haven't had before yeah but that's what kicks it off so i'm not A culture expert and i'm the first person to say that and there are uh, business consultants i know like yourself who go in and work with organizations to help them decide find out where they're going you know get their head on straight once they do that i can come in and help them record it Mm -hmm. how does that go into policy but
0: yeah
1: you know very often i'm sure you reach this people bring you in as a and they have a complaint that isn't actually the problem the problem
0: exactly (laughs) yeah yeah you know, and it's, it's funny, I, I'm just recalling a, a situation a few years ago where I was handling search for a, a new HR person for a client. And they got really close with this, this candidate. And she said, hey, I'd like to see some of their, their documents. Like, I may mean, I see their handbook. Can I see some procedure manuals, that kind of thing? And the client said, absolutely. I mean, we were in final stages of negotiating. And she comes back to me and she says, Ed, I'm going to back away from this opportunity. I said, wait, what happened? She felt that the employee handbook and the way that it was presented was completely different than the vibe that she got when she was going through the interview process, which was very positive. Obviously, she she had continued through the process. And as as we talked about it, she said, I don't get the, hey, we're a family here, we're informal, we're um, not loosey-goosey, but hey, we want you to come in and, and do your best. And we're not going to overlord you. She mm-hmm. says, that's not the vibe I get in the handbook. And I said, well, you're coming in as potentially the, the top HR person. You can change it. It, it. it To you slang, it wigged her out so much. She said, no, I can't. I, I, just, I just can't do it. It's and not- I had never really considered it before, but that really sounds like the problem you solve.
1: Yeah. yeah well, it is the problem I solve, but it's not the first time I've heard that. Um, and there are two things going on there. i tell you, one is that there just may be a lag between changes that the company has made in its approach and the writing has not caught up to it. So I certainly solve, solve that issue. Sure. Um, the other issue we have uh, is that uh, different areas of the organization who write policies are actually creating part of the employee experience and they don't think of it that way. Mm-hmm. So the people who write the HR policies, for instance, that's part of the employee experience. The IT policies are part of the employee experience. And if one group of those policies sounds officious, aggressive, everybody wears it. Sure. Everybody in that whole organization got tarred because of what she saw in that handbook. So,
0: you know, it's what a great segue to talk about employee experience, because it's one of the things that that I preach to, to my clients that, I mean, that starts at the time of application. What, what's my experience like as a candidate? What, what's it like as an onboarded employee? What are my first six, nine, 12 months like? And recently, um, my team and I worked on a project where a client came in and said, Ed, we're, we're having really trouble recruiting. Imagine that in this day and age, but having trouble recruiting. And so we found a lot of it was, was the messaging that was going out into the marketplace. Um, they were an engineering firm. So as you can imagine, everything was very technically written. And so we worked with them to identify their market, but then to reword how they're presenting the company to prospective candidates. Right. And where we we got them to was we revamped some job descriptions for them. Obviously, we revamped Uh, their website, the recruiting pieces of their website and their job ads and and their presence on social media. And we actually said, okay, guys, the next step is you've got to start looking at all your your internal documentation. Mm -hmm. Is this now reflecting what you want it to reflect? Because they are a really cool place to work. But being engineers, everything is written as a very much a technical piece rather than what's the employee really experiencing. I mean, even when I walk into their office, it's kind of a cool vibe for being an engineering office. But I'm not really? sure you get that from all the documentation.
1: So how open were they to that suggestion of change?
0: HR is actually very open to it. Um, it it's, it's getting the techies <laughs> on board with, hey, we've done all this work now. It's, it's time to, we, we, we've changed the outside perception because we want to be hipper in the marketplace to draw in young talent. Okay, well, that's great. But if, if we don't, keep them, then we, we've spent all this time and energy for, for nothing. Yeah, and you, so we're, we're, we're moving them along, uh, that process. And, and you may be getting a call from us to, to help with that. Um, it, it, it is that important.
1: You'd raise another point at just, uh, I'm sure you didn't do this on purpose, but you talked about getting new people in from the market. Mm-hmm. There is a distinct generational difference mm-hmm. between the type of language that millennials will accept going into an organization, and the type that that I accept. I, I know you were blown away by the fact that I'm not 25, but uh, one of the, the things when I look, I, people in my generation, they look at the strictly worded stuff and they say, how do you ex- how do you accept being spoken to like this? And the answer is, well, yeah, you know, that's the way it is when we roll our eyes, right? Like you just yeah. let it run. But that's not the way people approach the workplace today. And we really need to be cognizant of that. Um, I've had millennials come up to me and say, uh, thank God you explained this because my boss always writes like this and I didn't understand what I did wrong. I understand why he's so angry at us all the time. Sure. And uh, yeah, they, they didn't realize. So definitely. Um, and, and it's hard to, you've got, you say you've got engineers. Um, they must, um, they must have a, a governance type of culture too, though, in terms of charge. So how, how does that affect? Because there's a relation between your governance culture and, your policy so
0: yeah yeah in their case we are um at the stage of the project where i will be digging into to those pieces i've worked with them on some other projects over the years so i've got a good idea of of what i'm going to find there um and they're in their i guess third generation ceo um that doesn't mean familial generations but the, the founder is, has now exited, um, his successor is now exiting. So, you know, they, they are um, becoming more youthful at their executive uh, level and at the executive table. And what we found is that marketing was very open to this idea of, wow, we never really thought about marketing for candidates. Like we're marketing for customers, but your employment brand and your marketing brand are inextricably linked. And so there, it was like, boom, <laughs> uh, for them. And so, yeah, I believe we're at, at a stage here where as we, we start to look at their internal processes, it's, okay, you, you want to hire these self-starters, you want to hire smart people. Okay, great. Well, if you've done that effectively, then you don't need to watch over their shoulder. And, and I understand that in the world of engineering, um, yes, you need to double check things. We don't want buildings collapsing on people. But that doesn't mean that's how you manage. It becomes part of your process to build in those double checks and triple checks in some cases. And are we getting things built to code and and whatnot? So I think there's a a big difference. And that's the the work that we'll be doing in the, the next couple of months is how you manage a project could be quite different from how you manage the person doing the project. And that's something that they have not pulled apart in the past.
1: Sounds it. I'll tell you, one of the areas I think applies to recruiting, both internal and external, again, is this notion, even when you're setting requirements for recruiting, that somehow there's, uh, there, there is an ignorance of the fact that there's a tone of voice. So very often you'll see a statement like, you must be an analyst to apply for the director position. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think you must be an analyst. I think analysts are eligible to apply for the director position. And it
0: might have been a preferred experience to have.
1: But they people love to say if they if it's a requirement, even if you wanted to say an analyst degree is required. People love to start with you must. You must, you must and this must and it's that notion that I'm setting the rules, I'm I'm spilling them out without realizing how that sounds to the okay. people who are hearing it.
0: And the the flip side to that sort of language too that we've seen in study upon study upon study is that a man will read that and say, I don't have it, but I'm going to send my resume anyway because why not? A female may not. You know, a female would look at that in many cases. I know I'm I'm stereotyping here, but the studies say a female will look at that and say, oh, I don't qualify and therefore not submit my qualifications because of the all or nothing language.
1: You're not, you're stereotyping uh, maybe. uh, So, uh, general, I realize you're generalizing. Yes. (laughs) It's an important thing people need to keep in mind because a lot of times when we do make rules, Mm -hmm. um, people who we don't mean to stereotype feel they are targeted. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, um, and I'll just give you a a general coffee shop that says, has a rule of um, no uh, sleeping in the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. well we know there's a whole demographic of people who feel that they're being targeted sure right and in the there's another demographic of sort of privileged people who look at that and say well oh, that's not for me i mean they're not talking to me not talking to me yeah
0: yeah so. it's it, it is um it is amazing when you step back and you think about language mm-hmm. um and not whether you speak English, Spanish, German, French, but but regardless of the um, continental language that you might be speaking, it's it's the, the words within the language and how they're used and our, our tone of voice. And that carries through as, as you as we've started with the written word and, and how that comes across. And um, <clears throat> I sometimes feel like, you know, certainly I feel like I was taught that you write different than you speak, that there's a formal way of writing. And I get that to a certain extent. Although based on our discussions, I also greatly buy into this idea that if we have a very informal verbal communication style, then we should have a rather informal written communication style because that's part of the vibe of the workplace.
1: Agreed. And informal doesn't mean inexact. Mm -hmm. And it also doesn't mean not strict, Mm -hmm. but it does mean informal. Uh, I I taught a workshop this week. Somebody said to me, our bosses won't let us write. We do this in the policy. They don't want us to use the word we. They don't think it's formal enough. (laughs) Okay, so that I mean, okay, well, there's your uh, your cultural problem right there. Yeah. Okay, so uh, but just absolutely we can be more informal and still be strict and exact and polite and legal mm-hmm. just not be rude so you when you, when, a, when a customer brings you in you
0: help them revamp their policies and then they want to get the stamp of approval from their labor attorney
1: mm-hmm.
0: tell me how you handle that because i'm sure some of the things come back and they're redlined and we want this in there and that in there how do you massage that situation
1: so there are two types there are there are those who've gone to their lawyers and their lawyers have just said absolutely not no changes and the conversation shuts down. Sure. Not much I can do. There are others that look at it and say, okay, um, you haven't changed anything that puts us at, at a liability. Mm-hmm. And they do wonder about that because, again, lawyers are very used to the must, but I've changed. You must be an analyst, <clears throat> to apply to be a director, to analysts are eligible or only analysts are eligible. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not doing anything that a, a well-trained lawyer who has been taught to modify their contracting language mm-hmm. wouldn't have been taught in the same way. Exactly. So let's, let's shift
0: gears a little bit here. Um, as a, an HR person, I, I dig people. I'm fascinated by people. What led to your reform? <laughs> you know, how, did you, how did you make that shift? And why?
1: I w- what I, I think what struck me um, was looking at all these, uh, realizing that there was a tone of voice problem, and and I'd heard for years, especially working in um, information IT area, mm-hmm. um, that people are beating a compliance drum. You have to do this because it's compliance and rule, 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 rule and it doesn't get them anywhere. Yeah. And I, I sort of wondered why, uh, first, why nobody was being trained on writing policies. There really wasn't a lot of it. And I looked at legislation, being a lawyer. Um, legislation has been around a long time. And I would say the strictest rules that we have in any society, are the penal code. Sure. The rules yeah. against murder and, you know, mm-hmm. they're not that strict, they're, in, in, <laughs> in, they're not that rude. They'll say something like, uh, setting fire to a house is arson. Arson is a third-degree felony. Yeah. That's, that's what they say. Bad, right? Man, right? It's a ma'am,
0: right? That's yeah. it. Yeah.
1: It's a fact. It's yeah. all in the present tense. Sure. Uh, a person who kidnaps another person is liable for imprisonment up to five years. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is. It's yeah. all in the present tense. Yeah. So I was wondering, well, if we could teach policy writers some of the rules that we use when writing legislation, wouldn't that take away some of the pressure? Yeah. Yeah,
0: very cool. Very cool. So, if our listeners wanted to contact you,
1: where can they find
0: you? And, and tell us a little bit about um, your your online presence.
1: Certainly. Well, I have to say, I, I do have a book out. That's that's the excellent,
0: uh, excellent. Tell, uh, tell us about
1: that. It's called How to Write Rules That People Want to Follow. Nice. Okay. It's available at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the regular places. Okay. And it's basically a guide that goes through uh, a number of techniques for rewording mm-hmm. and. Uh, looks at sort of some special cases like codes of conduct, etc. because, I mean, there's nothing more ironic than a code of conduct that says you better be nice. <laughs> you, know, you, can, you know, rudeness is not going to be tolerated. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, all right. Let's rework that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and that I just sort of used to get the, the notion around um, my website is uh, people contact me through the, through there or LinkedIn. I mostly do training and speaking. I don't write. I'm a train-the-trainer kind of person. Mm -hmm. And um, from my perspective, uh, this is really, uh, I mean, it's a long-term thing. It doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. And once an organization says, okay, you know what? We would like to go on this path and change. Then they realize that this is not just a writing issue. This is a culture issue. That there are other people they can reach for to help them Mm -hmm. with the leadership work they have to do, the management work, the organizational work, marketing work. And they can always call me if we get stuck on the policy side. Sure, but sure, sure. I never tell people what the policy should be, only how to word it once you've decided what you should be. So...
0: And can, yeah. you, um, can you share your website?
1: Which, it's uh, lewisisen.com.
0: Lewis Eisen, and that's uh, L-E-W-I-S-E-I-S-E-N.com.
1: lewisisen.com, that's it.
0: Lewis, this has been a wonderful chat. Um, I I thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, Listeners, again, I encourage you to go check out Lewis's website at lewiseisen.com. Purchase his book, How to Write Rules People Want to Follow. um, That's a great read, especially for for those of you listening, perhaps in the the HR profession that are faced with writing a lot of uh, the rules, policies, procedures for your organizations. I thank you for listening today to Transforming Talent. And thanks again to our guest this week, Lewis Eisen. We'll talk to you again soon. Hey, Ed Crow here. Thank you so much for listening to today's segment of Transforming Talent. If you're a business owner or executive of a business that's on a revenue freight train that you're not sure how to control, or maybe you're butting up against a revenue ceiling that you don't know how to break through, we'd love to have you on this program. Please visit my website at edcrow.com slash speaking slash podcast to apply. Now for our listeners out there, if you got something out of this interview and you'd love to share it on social media, please go ahead and do so. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone, text it to a friend and post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag #transformingtalent. talent. I love seeing your posts and guests suggestions. We're rarely putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you wanna know more, go to my website, edpro.com, or you can follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter or Facebook. Thanks for listening. We'll see
1: you again next time.